everybody. Welcome back to the Deposit That Podcast. I'm sitting here with somebody I met on social media back in 2017. I gave him a deal that he said he would do, and he did it. No appraisal, no questions asked. So I valued his friendship, and I valued his word, and we've closed numerous deals from there. Matt Barbaccia, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on here today. So I just found out earlier that you started your career in Arizona after college. Yes, I did. Let's uh, tell everybody about it. So, yeah, so I went to college at the University of Arizona, Harvard on the West. Did you focus? I, uh, yeah, I focused just enough. Just <laughs> on enough. boobs and butt? Yeah. <laughs> no comment. And blondes. Yeah, yeah. Boobs, butt, and blondes. Went to school out there in good old Tucson and yeah. uh, majored in business. When I was out there, I started working for in commercial real estate uh, for CBRE. While you were in school or after? While I was in school, yeah. Oh. While I was in school and uh, ever since. And that was in uh, you know the early 2000s. You know, that's, that's what I've been. And then how did you wind up back? On the East Coast. So after I graduated from school, you know, I, I contemplated staying there out west, and you know, I decided that you know I, I was a New Yorker at heart, want to be back home. This is where all my friends were, my family. And that's really where I wanted to, you know, start and grow my business. Moved back, and you know, started working for some like the bigger national commercial real estate companies. Did, and, did you find a big difference between like how Arizona moved from speed, pace, level of cutthroat, and then coming back to New York? There was there like similarity, or was it very, very different? I think it was definitely. There, there was some similarities. Listen, at the end of the day, that the, the top of any industry is going to be hustling. I think you know, no matter where you are, regardless, of, yeah, I think know, demographic. Yeah, I think regardless of where you are, uh, I think generally speaking, obviously New York and any really big major city is going to be moving at a much faster pace. Tucson not slower than say like a Scottsdale or Phoenix, you right. know. But listen, there's hustlers out there, just like there's like a lot of dead weight, just like here as well. Interesting. Yeah. So you came back to New York, and what did you get into? So I came back to New York and I started an investment sale, selling apartment buildings in uh, the Bronx, Upper Manhattan. And, but that's because uh, you knew that area, or what? So family was from the Bronx, yep. and uh, so I had like some familiarity with that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I was always told, you know, pick an area where you want to be long term. And I felt a lot of, uh, I felt there's a lot of opportunity in the Bronx, Upper mm-hmm. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. A lot of brokers were going after like the sexy Manhattans and you know, sort of more yeah, present day Brooklyn. And as a broker, obviously you get paid when things turn over. So you, know, you want to pick an area where, you know, yes, the big ticket price tags are, yeah. are, yeah, they help. But you also like, you know, where the Bronx, you know, you want to get that call sure. from the landlord saying, you know, I can't deal with this crap anymore. Yep, I'm yep. sick of, you know, the yep. tenant. Unload it. Sort of like your rants. I know. It's, it's all sort of too like well. your rants on social media. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, and yeah. you want to get that phone call and say, listen, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Like, I want out of this. Sure. And because uh, we get paid every time it turns over. So, yeah, sure. we'll sell your property today. Then I'll sell another one and, you know, make a, make a living that way. And it was an easier barrier entry to get into because I you know I, I went from the commercial leasing side to the investment side in the apartment buildings because the, the ultimate goal is always to own apartment buildings mm-hmm. you know I felt for you know although you can make a good living at one of these commercial leasing side you know the chance of going out there and buying like a institutional size sure. office building was tough. you know very tough uh, to get into but going out there and buying a 10 20 30 40 unit apartment building was a much more achievable task Especially so, entry point in the Bronx at the time correct yeah now so you transitioned like into with hybrid into mm-hmm. property management. Tell us a little about that transition so, and what caused that. So when the market started changing, and this is in like 2007, eight, nine, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that were selling the properties for, and we just couldn't get the price that they wanted. We would have a, essentially like a sit down just like this and say, listen, here's where the offers are. Markets obviously changed a lot. It's yep. shifted. Yep. Um, Banks aren't lending. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what do you want to do? Either like, you, you know, this, you're going to adjust to current day pricing or we have to come up with another plan. So they would, you know, at the time they would say, listen, you know, don't want to sell it, but I also don't want to be managing this asset. Right. And they say, do you have someone that you can recommend to me that can operate this building? And, you know, being in the business, you know, tons of people that, sure. that manage and operate buildings, but I never wanted to tie my name to some of these people because although there's a lot of great managers out there, right. there's also some people that have a very bad reputation. Mostly snakes. And uh, I didn't want to refer right. to say, you know, person yeah. X and yeah. then they burn a bridge yeah. and then the person turns around, they're like, Matt, you're an asshole. Yeah. You put me in touch with so-and-so. And then I don't get the business on like the sales sure, side. Makes of you look bad. Correct. So I, so I knew a guy that owned some buildings in the Bronx. He was just managing his own portfolio. Pretty much pitched him on the idea. I said, listen, there's a big opportunity here. You know, although property management is not where we want to be in a long term sure. business, you know, I think it's a great avenue for us to sort of incubate those people on a brokerage side. Sure. And then, you know, we can tie in the scaling and raising capital to go out there and buy buildings because then we have like an actual, like we actually know what we're doing. Sure. And you have access to, to properties. Yeah. We access to properties and we know how to like handle different issues and people yeah. will feel confident to invest in us to go out and buy properties. So that's what we did. Now, so. for those of you listening, it turns out that your partner was actually my landlord yes, yes, my yeah. junior year in college. Yeah, so funny. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Really uh, small worlds. 
Even how I met you. Yeah. I was like, I, I, I literally remember yeah. I, I was, I was at my mother-in-law's house. So I'm like <laughs> sitting there on her rug. Bored. Yeah. I was sitting there bored. Like what the hell am I doing? You know, just stalking random stuff, looking up, you know, maybe like, you know, airplanes or random places <laughs> to travel houses in North Dakota. Yeah. yeah. And there just, comes the mortgage quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then, uh, and I'm like, you know what? Let me just message a couple of people. I stumbled yeah. across your page. So I messaged you and like five or seven other people. And I remember then like you messaged back and yes, I got a couple yeah. of the responses. Yeah. And then I, I talked to you when I was down in, uh, I think it was like, like triple play or something, and then, yeah. then we made the connection yeah, with the Bronx and with John. Yeah, in like the first thirty Correct. days. Yeah, yeah, that was a beautiful deal. Thank you very yeah. much. Uh, nice. Uh, I, I have had <laughs> I've had car loans double the amount we lent on it, but look, we got it done. That's yeah, all that matters. Did. We but got that's it one done. of those relationship builders that I think that again, like you know, for someone like myself, now everyone's not going to appreciate that deal, right? Yeah. Terms maybe not be the best, points not be the best, but I asked you if you could do this deal. You got it done, and you gave me your word, and that was it. It was kind of like, let's start the relationship off this way. And that obviously wasn't a big risk. You know what I mean? Like, you were very well secured, and the client seemed somewhat reasonable and knowledgeable. Yeah, the deal seemed, you know, okay. And it was really more to invest in a, a relationship, relationship with you. Right. But yeah. that, that, I think that's the key of the game. That's where I think people lose focus today is, like, those relationship builders, you know. Well, I'm not making any money on this. Yeah, but, again, you do this deal, we make a couple dollars, and then that big ticket item comes down the road. You know? Yeah, the way I look at listen, as long as you're not going to go out there, we're going to lose the capital that we're investing into it. If I'm going to go out there and spend X amount of dollars a month in advertisements, right. and who knows what you're going to get. This Correct. is, like, a great way to right. sort of break bread and sure. start the relationship. And still make some money. Correct, yeah. What got you into the hard money lending business? Obviously, so you did investment sales, you did property management, yeah, right? You yeah. own some properties. Yeah. What sparked that, you know, entry into the le- private lending space? So, uh, so we're mainly, you know, starting in, I think it was like 2010, buying properties around Fordham University mm-hmm. and uh, expanding on the model, buying properties, redeveloping them. It just got to the point from like an equity investment perspective, the yield was just so low. It got to a point where we were only able to maybe pick off like one or two deals a year, but it was very hard to really scale. Sure. Uh, it sort of came more of like just like a passive business. Yep. We always did private lending, but on like a much smaller scale, more like, you know, like a friends or family type person was sure. referred. They need a couple of dollars and you sort of pass the hat and do it that way. But we just felt it was a great way to not only like generate some yields, but also stay connected to deals and some, you know, some like carrier deals sure. and uh, and learn the market in a different way. And and also we think we we think and also thought back then that it was it's a much more scalable business than you know being on like the development side. Now, what's been your experience? Obviously, we do this about three years now, heavy yeah. three years into the lending. What's been yeah. your experience so far? Do you like it? Do you not like it? What are the opportunities? Where are the holes? Where are the problems? The market has changed and shifted very quickly. Uh, especially on like the smaller one to four family fix and flip side, you know, yield has been suppressed drastically. There's tons of capital out there in the marketplace. There's mm-hmm. not as many deals and transactions going on. So there's a lot of people chasing that sort of hundred to like five, six hundred thousand dollar deal. Mm-hmm. Way more now than it was like even you know two right. years ago. Right. We're although we're still heavily involved in it. You know, we're 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 actually a lot more interested now in focusing more on our roots of like the bigger commercial stuff. Because there's a lot of players that only have funding for like these smaller one to four yeah, family it. units. We went after some of the bigger stuff, but we never like really got to really break into it because the yields were so much lower. Then now the yield spread for sure. like a one to four family is almost the same as you know like Resident, an apartment building. Yeah, yeah. residential rates. And, right. and we'd much rather be in in a deal of like a ten, twenty, thirty unit apartment building or sort of like multi unit like a retail strip or something like that. Now I know. You know, as we're setting up our operation, our joint ventures that we have going on, you know, one of the things we're looking for is actually taking MES positions Correct, and also yeah. potentially second positions mm-hmm. in order to help clients either bridge that gap, make renovations, give them some cash flow, cross-collateralize. So yeah. explain a little bit about what MES financing is yeah. and uh, the opportunity that you see moving forward in the marketplace and who's the ideal person for that. Sure. So, uh, so MES financing is really what you're doing is you're taking a second position on a property. So someone may come to you and they may have a, a first mortgage with a private lender or a conventional lender, and uh, they need some additional capital, whether to f- on an acquisition side to fund the down payment, or maybe they're already into a deal and uh, they, they just need someone to like push the loan to value you know, leverage on it a little bit more and then we'll come for, you know, a second loan for to rehab a property or for like another acquisition somewhere else, whatever the case may be. Typically, you know, although there's a lot of MES lenders out there, they're really focusing on much larger assets. You know, it's hard to find MES lenders that will do like these several hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, million, most of them, a couple million. Yeah, two million dollar yeah. transactions. Yeah. And uh, I think there's an opportunity there. That being said, I think you have to be very selective now because, you know, the first one to get wiped out when things change is going to be the MES lender, yeah. you know. And I think so, it's also important to note 
for everyone listening is people need to understand that because not everyone does it, they're going to be paying a premium for this money. Correct. Obviously, second position, added risk, not everyone does it. So you're not going to get a 5 or a 10% rate most likely. Correct. You're probably going to get something between 11 and 15. But if that's your only option and we're willing to take that risk on the individual, they should appreciate that. They shouldn't be like, oh, you're robbing me. It's like, well, no, okay, then I won't lend you the money. I won't rob you. You know what yeah, I mean? And, like, listen, and you got to look at it as a blended rate. So maybe correct. you have the first 60, 70% of the loan to value right. at 8, 9%. Right. And if you have a MES piece at you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, whatever it is, sure. blended, you know, it's not a 10, 11, you know, 12% rate. Correct. So you have to average it too. So I do think there's an opportunity on that side. And, uh, and, and we're also the approach that we take is we want to lend on the mess side on properties that that we personally like from like an equity side. We are we're not a loan to own type shop. Right. We don't want to take over right. these properties, but we do understand that it is a risky sure. is a risky place to be. So uh you know we want to make sure that we like the underlying real estate as well. You know, we're not interested in doing, you know, like a two family mez loan in, you know, sure. Delaware. Right. Yeah. Do you think that going back to like how you got your start and like you know, I started obviously while in college and playing football as well, right? Mm-hmm. So like we both had that experience and we both got you know, semi-successful from not only hard work, but starting from a young age, right? Like kind of like transitioning out of school and into the real world. You know, you had that kind of bridge, if you will, where like Mm -hmm. you were still in school, but you still had a career being built. Do you believe that people that want to get into real estate or mortgage lending should start while they're in college and then like get that kind of semi-experience and then transition and evolve? Because I feel like that's the future of, you know, the business to get people that start while they don't need to make Eighty to one hundred thousand dollars a year support their family and lifestyle. You know, when I when I first started, the question that I was asked when I was interviewing was, "Would you like thirty four B or thirty four C?" After post college yeah, was uh, yeah. was you know, can you commit the next three to five years of your life to this industry? So, like, if you cannot, don't even start. Makes you know? sense. And, and I think the problem with a lot of people in, in the like the brokerage world, whether it's on the sales side or the financing side, is they're like bouncing all over the place. So they never get any traction. It's like, you know, the market gets hot and then they're jumping from like ad sales to now real estate or correct for selling, correct. you know, uh, I don't know, whatever, correct. you know, some sort of. Or the mortgage stuff. company that specializes in reverse mortgages and then they suck and then they go to HARP and then they go to refinances and then they go to FHA and then they go to, you know, yeah. whatever, else, fix and flip. And it's like, dude. Either do it all, all the time, or don't do it at all. Because yeah. as you're chasing, you're always falling behind, and you always have to restart. Totally. And if, and if you look at all the people that are at the top of their game, especially in our industry, I mean, yeah. they've all been doing it for so long. They're just pounding the pavement. I would say minimum minimum 10 years at this point. Yeah, totally. You know, there are a couple, obviously, exceptions to the rule. Like, maybe they had, yeah. like, good luck in the past five years, but they came from probably a good, solid background or foundation or had family in the business. Yeah. I haven't seen many people just start and be successful. Yeah, I agree. I think people that are have the more short term success had other, you know, success in other industries that they're able, like they sort of understood the process and then just refocused a little bit on the real estate side. But I I think at the end of the day, people need to focus long term. You know, it's hard to make money in this business the first couple of years. In general, actually, truthfully, in general, now that it's so saturated. From any standpoint, from the brokerage standpoint, if you're like an investor buying things. So I think you have to have a more long term mindset and figure out how you're going to sustain yourself because. You know, I see so many people that want to get into the business. They're all gung ho. They yeah. start, and then like three weeks later, like when am I going to get yeah. paid? You're, back you're not going to get paid for months. You know, if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you need to be able to like live and keep your Saturday. And some people can function at a high level when they don't have any money, and some people go nuts and they can't do it. Yeah, know? we talk. We talk frequently. I call you usually. I'm on one of my rants, or like you catch me at the time <laughs> where I'm like this fucker, whatever. Right? I mean, I texted you the other day. I said, I'm pretty sure. Kids prevent people from becoming millionaires, and you were like, "Absolutely, a hundred percent." Here's my meme or emoji to like, you know, solidify that. And then you're like, "Add a wife to it," and I'm like, "Fuck that!" Right? Talk to me a little bit about how you balance wife, two kids, and all these ancillary businesses that are twenty four seven. Yeah, I think uh, I think the key to my success was that I started many years ago, prior to kids, and also prior to being married and all that. I feel like having the girlfriend, having the wife is the easy part. It's just when you throw the kids into the mix, then like it's a whole different dynamic. Or around the period. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
But listen, if you're trying to you know start a family and start a business at the same time, I'm not saying people don't do an orange no, successful it's at it, but yeah. you need to really be able to manage expectations. Throw in breaking well. your ankle in there, you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of motions going on. Yeah, throwing your yeah. ankle breaking, you're 168 yeah. pounds soaking yeah. wet trying there's to a, sleep. There's a lot of time required on both businesses, yeah. the family business yeah. as well and as your yourself. Own personal and yourself. And yeah, yourself. throwing there, and it's tough. It's really, you know, it's tough. So, I mean, you think of a lot of these successful entrepreneurs, they get married so late in life. There's a reason why. Or they go through a bad divorce, break up, and then divorce, 20 yeah. years later, do. There's a, there's a, uh, a top uh, broker this late. I can't remember what her name is, but she, has a, she had a quote I remember reading a while ago, and I always loved it. And she's like, you know, in life, you want to be the first son, the second wife, <laughs> and the third broker. <laughs> And I always thought, true. I always that was amazing. That's yeah, true. Yeah, we yeah. should coin them. We should get a shirt made of that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. First so son, second broker. You told me, first, we got to share. One. Everyone's going to love this story. So tell everyone the story about your son with uh, the quarter. Oh, man. Oh, so it was my, a quarter, right? Yeah, it was a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, my, my wife and I were having a nice, uh, peaceful dinner for about 35 seconds. <laughs> with some wine? Some, yeah. Right? You know, a nice bottle of wine. We poured. <laughs> like, and, and I think we even said to each other, you know, this is, this is really nice right now. <laughs> Kids were like playing and doing their thing. And then. You know, I, I like if we made it to the two minute mark, I, it, would, it was a long time. And then, you know, my son comes over and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting there looking at each other like, we're like, Mason, like, are you, are you okay? Like, what's going on? He's like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, not saying anything. We can see he's choking. And, you know, we're, we're trying to think in our head, like, what the hell is this kid choking on? Like, he's not even eating. Like, you know, <laughs> he's five and he, we know he's smart enough to not like do st- stupid things, right. you know? Before you know it, I had, I literally had to like do like the Heimlich on him. Nothing came out, but it cleared, I guess, the air passage. Right. And I'm like, Mason, like, what the hell did you do? Like, did you swallow something? And he's like, ah, and he's like trying to talk. And like a little bit of words are coming out, but you can still, he's still having an issue. And then I think he got relodged again. Yeah. And then I did the Heimlich again. And then all of a sudden, out of his mouth, and you hear a quarter <laughs> on the floor. And I'm like, what the, like, you know, out of just yeah, like yeah, emotions yeah. and everything, yeah. start like screaming at him, like, sure. you know, bed. And, you sure. know, after it's looking back on him, I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And right. he's like, Oh, like, I'm sorry. And he was all shaken up. And then, you know, like about like 10 minutes later, I'm sitting there talking. I'm like, what What the hell happened? Why did a quarter just come out <laughs> yeah, of your, had they your mouth? There. Like, I know you're smarter <laughs> than this. And he's like, you know, I was balancing a quarter <laughs> on my chin like this. And he said, I had my mouth open and I went too far back and the, <laughs> the quarter went in his mouth. And he so note to self, if you have kids... Tell them not to play the chin quarter right. game. Yeah, and I said, and if you're going to do it again, close your mouth. Keep your mouth open. Yeah, I mean, I think all these things add to, obviously, good laughs. You know, yeah, it helps, like, sure. breaks the ice and, like, sharing, like, these war stories. I think it's nice having a genuine relationship with somebody that you can relate to. You know, like, I know when I first started in the business in 2007, I was 20 years old. You know, the majority of the people in the Bronx weren't my age, didn't have my ethics, Definitely didn't have my, you know, drive, didn't have my intensity, didn't have my knowledge. Even or your, at that your age. dress attire. Maybe, didn't, actually. Maybe I think they did I, have man, your dress I was attire. rocking a fucking three-piece suit every day. <laughs> I had my hair slicked back, you know. It yeah, was yeah. a different world back then. You know, but I didn't really have somebody, truthfully, to, like, call up and be able to, like, relate to. Right? I couldn't talk to my college friends. I couldn't talk to my football guys that I knew. I couldn't talk to the girls I was dating because they didn't understand what I was going through. And the guys that were in the business, you know, because that decade or 15 year people got wiped out because they were all like the scum guys that got in for the most yeah, part yeah, yeah and i didn't know you existed obviously it was really hard speaking to people about like commonalities and sharing stories like dude i like hooked up this hot chick last night and they're like yeah i came home had dinner with my wife and uh had a nice you know you know whatever like <laughs> apple apple cider shot <laughs> like i'm like apple what cider shot. like like this isn't like you know like being able to share those war stories so i think for anybody listening like it's super important to find people that you can relate to on a personal level that still have that same respect on a business level i mean yeah. I, think, I think it's invaluable yeah i found that like the best relationships that i have over the years are ones that have been developed organically right. slowly and right. just over the years have involved and like we're still you know sure. heavily involved sure. in like each other's lives and and i've made great friends you know, people that started off like on the business relationship side and are like very, very good friends of mine. Sure. You know, at this stage in the game. So I feel like, it's, listen, it's a great industry. There's plenty of deals to go around for everyone, sure. you know, even yeah. if it's like a competitor, lender, broker, whatever. Right. There's so much stuff. Well, we've we, co funded some deals. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff to go around. I think it's, uh, you know, I think that mentality is like sort of like a, not a dying thing. It's always going to obviously be alive sure. and well, but, um, you know, there's no need to have it. Let's talk about people that, so when you borrow hard money, let's say, unfortunately, for whatever reason, you're a knucklehead and you're now entering default or you're in default. What's your advice to somebody in order to work with Blender? Like, 
don't ghost them, obviously, but like obviously you have some defaults and some people that aren't cooperating. So very interesting. So we, we're in a unique spot like some other lenders where we have not sold any loans. We right. keep everything in our portfolio. So right. we have own capital. Yeah. So we act actually as a servicer to the loans, yep. which gives us a ton of flexibility. And a lot of people out there don't understand what that means. So a lot of lenders out there are competition is, is funding deals. Either they're table funding it, so they're not even putting like their own money into not it, their own money, yeah. or or they're funding and they sell it off to some uh, some third party who then owns that loan. So like if you ever had a loan sure. out there and you know, you're making your checks to to Jeff one day, and then all of a sudden you get like a notice, and now you're making it to FCI, you know, or yeah, or somebody else, yeah, like a servicing company or yeah. just another lender altogether in Iowa. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's very different on how your loan gets serviced, you know. So. Uh, you know, again, we're not a loan-to-own type shop, yep. so we like to work with the the actual borrower to try to get that. We have a you know situations right now that are going on, and you know we're non replies. Yeah, non replies. Who actually did reply yeah. yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah, oh. yeah, we finally were able to make some ground, oh, but uh, yeah, good. which is good. But listen, we we want to work out a situation, and right. and and I think the the another nice thing about how we're structured is you know. We know the development side. We know the ownership side of it. So we can also add value. Other so you can step like, in and help them. Yeah, we can step in and help right. them. Or, you know, right. sometimes people come to us with these ideas. And listen, we definitely do not know anything. But like, you know. I mean, I've personally, yeah. my clients that I've done hard money loans for, I've personally gone into my own pocket in excess of the commission I made on the deal, yeah. lent them the money to cover their hard money loans, right? The monthly because, payments, yeah. Yeah, but, but I knew I was getting it back, you know. Yeah. And obviously the lender, I, my lender was probably my friend. So I'm like, look, here. Just so you know, I'm giving this guy. And by the way, I don't know anybody who would ever do that. That's no, because very highly of yeah, you. But, yeah. but listen, you know that's me, right? Like yeah. that's the type of person I am. So like when I do your deal, I'm not like, hey, here's your deal. Like go on. I'm like, look, I'm sticking through you through this process to help you out. I don't want to see you get hurt. I don't want my lender to get hurt, and I want to move on to be able to do the next deal. Like if you fuck my lender, he's not going to give me my terms I need, and then yeah. you're not going to come back to me. You're going to not like me because you fucked up your deal. You know? Yeah, but and it's all about you know taking calculated risk, and, and we fortunately have the flexibility to adjust where, right. you know, once they sell that loan, they have to fit in the box. Sure. I mean, like I have a situation now with someone where they're doing a renovation. They really don't have any liquidity. We have a very small basis in the loan value. So sure. like I, I can be more flexible to do things I wouldn't right. normally do. I don't have to fit in. Like, or do this, an advance or whatever. Yeah, I don't have to fit in this box exactly. Right. You know, I, I know I'm going to obviously take precautions to make sure we're protected sure. as a lender. Sure. But, you know, I also don't want to ruin the, the momentum for this person because right. that's when these people get stuck. And resentful. And, and resentful. And that's when things really take a turn for yep. the worse. So, like, as long as, you know, I can stay within a safe area, you know, we're going to try to help that person out. We're not looking to just jam foreclosure documents down someone's, sure. you know, throw and it and put them into default and all right, that. You right. know, that's not our position. You know, we, we really want like the coupon each month. We want to get paid off. We want to get that constant flow of business from certain people. Sure. And, and think in this market, people don't appreciate that yet. At all. There's so much new people in the market and they haven't had bad times. You know, these At guys all. that, you know, are all hot shit and have yeah, yeah, yeah. three, five, yeah. ten projects yeah. going on. Yeah. And everything's still no working. money in their of theirs. Yeah, yeah no liquidity, yeah. and everything's still working because yeah. they're able to time it. But once they get jammed up a little bit, and then like their lender, sure. who's some gigantic institution, is like, "Go f yourself!" Sure. Like I just need the payments. You're in default. Right. Then they're going to start to appreciate, and that's like when I found even like the last market, people start calling you, and a lot of times it's too late. Yep. But you know, again, By I think a lot. That, you mean like ninety seven percent of the time. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's yeah. like the big difference where where someone who can act as a servicer versus like a lender who's really like even when these people are selling these notes, they still might act as the front person on yeah, the loans, but they course. really are just like the front person behind the person they course, sold it to to course. sort of keep face. But they don't have any, there's really not much of a say in, and flexibility sure. in the process. You know, it's funny. Um, I'm not sure if I sent you this. So I, I had a person reach out to me saying he needed a loan for a development site, right? Okay. But that never went through. And then he reached back out to me, sent me his portfolio. I reviewed his portfolio and I'm like, Dude, you have a lot of properties. I'm like, you have a lot of debt. I'm like, how far are you along with these projects? He's like, oh, I'm, you know, getting close. I'm getting close. You know, everyone obviously lies. Yeah, right? Everyone's, they can't just tell everyone's the truth. so close. Everyone's like 90 days, days away from a sale. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you didn't even fucking get like you know, yeah, your you plans finish, yet. Uh, you know, you put the kitchen in. Right? Yeah. Like, there's still a hole in your ceiling. Anyway, oddly enough, because it's a small world and social media, social media, mm-hmm. this guy reaches out to me. Hey, been following you for a while. Would love to get together for lunch. Da da da. This and that. Blah blah. So like. I drive up to North Jersey, you know, like I had nothing going on. Yeah. I had mu- I've had much going on for the past year and a half, right? As I've been unwinding everything. We're sitting in his truck, we go into Starbucks, we're talking, yeah, I gave this kid some money, but it's this and that, you know, I'm waiting for my money to be paid off. I'm like, oh, cool, awesome, man. So like, you, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for joint ventures. He's like, yeah, I own a uh, car electronics shop. I got some extra side cash. I want to get in real estate. You know, I'm working 100 hours a week here. I got kids, whatever, a wife. I respect it. 
So like another month goes by. I'm like, hey, what's up going on, man? Everything good? This and that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm about, you know, 30 days away. Every time I started talking to this guy, he was always 30 days away from getting his money back. I'm like, listen, I don't know you, really. I don't know who you want the money to. But if you keep getting told 30 days, like now we're legitimately six months. I'm like, give me the address of the property that you supposedly lent money on. Bro, he gives me the fucking address of the property. It was the kid that I was like, dude, you're over leveraged on. What's going on here? Now, how do I go back and say, dude, just so you know, like I saw this deal. And by the way, the kid came to me looking for additional money on the property that you put money into. So again, for being in the business, it seems as if he took your money and didn't put it into this project or else he'd be done already. And already he's over leveraged on it. So now this guy like, he's like, what the fuck goes nuts? Like shows up to the kid's house, whatever. And I'm like, look, play it cool. Because look, at the end of the day, if he doesn't have it, if you hurt him, you're never going to get it. Yeah. You have $120,000 that you gave this kid, right? I'm like, you know, he has equity in the properties, but you either need to have him sign the deed over and you complete the project to protect your asset. Which with ego is not the easiest thing Which to have wasn't that. an option. Or, you know, file a lien, have your attorney file a lien on every single one of his other properties. He's got like, whatever, $700,000 in equity, right? Mm-hmm. This is the Jersey deal. Remember the two Jersey yeah, deals yeah, up yeah. north? The kid's like, all right, we're closing Thursday. We're waiting for whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, he's fucking lying to you. I'm like, what he's saying, the reason is, is not the reason. I'm like, I've never heard of that before. And I've done a lot of deals. So long story short, the kid closes on Monday. So I'm like, all right, well, if you sell a property, the wire hits that day within 24 hours, not 48 or 72 hours. You know, like you sell a property, you give the keys over, you sign the deed, like, the deal's done. He's got his money. Uh-huh. So he's saying, oh, the title company, something along the lines like, they didn't send the wire, they didn't have the funds. But like, look, if you're a seller, you get those immediately or there's an issue. Maybe you have a tax lien, right? So long story short, he goes, the kid gets like 200000 he gives him like $90,000. And I'm like, dude, you sold thirty grand. He's like, yeah, but I got my ninety. I'm like, dude, get all your fucking money out because you don't know what else is going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I think another thing for lenders to really watch out is that, uh, you know, on these draw disbursements, some lenders... And uh, unless we did it too, where we'll cut, like, say, you sure. as the borrower, sure. the money for the draw, you know, go inspect, make sure it's done, but release the money. But that money never goes towards paying someone you else. You don't and, know where it goes. And you don't know where it goes. And, and, and listen, for the past handful of years, that may have worked out fine. As but, the market's climbing up. But now, you know, again, people are getting so jammed up in different situations. I think it's, like, really important to know, like, and even have a relationship with the contractors. Sure. I think sure. as a lender maintaining relationships and dialogue with the contractors right. and subs, especially on bigger projects, right, right, is right. extremely important because when shit hits the fan, there are people that have open permits on properties. If you need people to close out permits or you step into a job and you time. need to take over, right. it's not easy taking over when you're the electrician sure. and you have an open permit and you didn't get paid and you're sure. like, oh, fuck, so-and-so. Yeah, UCC filing, whatever. Yeah, and, and there's all these issues. So, like, you know, I think you got to think of these things and have these relationships you know, with these people where a lot of the lenders on like the bigger, the bigger type sure. of bridge lenders and construction lenders, you know, are already used to this, but uh, it's very loosely well, done. Look, on I, I feel like any, anyone, I'm gonna say, so I was listening to this story last night. You make a great point. Being a millionaire today is almost like a joke. Like everyone's a millionaire. Huh? Like, we've, like this is the number one time to create millionaires in the market right now. Obviously being a millionaire is, in my opinion, a lot of fluff, right? Like if you have equity in a property, it's kind of phantom, right? I'm talking about like yeah, a millionaire. Paper, we have, paper millionaire. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. on paper. But yeah. like you actually have a million dollars cash in the bank or assets, like physical assets that are actually valued. Different story, right? But I say that because you have these fix and flip guys, like you said, never experience adversity. Most of the fix and flip guys don't have any job. They don't own any other real estate and they're relying solely on the fix and flips as their money, right? So like, you know, they have no monthly income coming in. They have really no money in their savings or checking account. So when they get their draws, usually they're paying for their gas toll, which I think is fine to an extent if it's business related. I'm not saying you have $10,000 a month and, you know, money that you should be taking from, but you should really plan in the event of a downturn or if those fix and flips dry up. Yeah, like, glo- a, uh, a global cash flow snapshot something. is very right. important. Right. Uh, like buy a four family, like, like living that shit You know what's free. going on. This is going to be the greatest deal that you're lending Correct. on. But what you don't know if you don't ask for it, Correct. you know, or even if you ask for it, you Correct. still don't 100% know, is Correct. they might have five other deals that they have teed up. And so you see liquidity, everything looks great, sure. but they have you and like three other lenders trying to lend all the different deals. Yeah, no, and you don't know what up. the hell's going on. And then a deal like goes from yes, it looks looks pretty or like the deal maybe standalone looks good still and liquidity sure. you know meets all like the passes the sniff test, but when you look at the global picture, writing's on the wall that right. like you're way too much shit going on. Now, I always tell yeah. everyone, like, look, if you put if you want an easy process or you want the best deal, 
you need to put all your cards on the table day one. Like if you try and hide anything or, oh, I forgot that. Like I'm just like, look, pretend you're sitting in front of a detective where like if you get caught lying, like you get your balls cut off, right? And like you put all your cards on the table and say, look, here, hey, I had this bankruptcy five years ago. Or, hey, I'm going through this divorce right now. Or, hey, I have whatever going on. Here is the real story. What do you suggest we do to get around this? And is there a way around this? And really having that upfront, honest conversation and not just say, well, fuck you. I don't want to do this. Or fuck you. I don't care. Like, why do you need that statement? Or like, what do you give a fuck if I don't have home insurance on the property? I'm like, well, well, let's see if we lend you a million dollars. And or a homeowner policy when it's like an investment property. Yeah, like, wait, or, or your fucking house burns policy. down, like, yeah. we're losing our million dollars because you have no money, you know? Yeah. And I think people, if they realize, like, when they work at least with us, can't speak for everybody, like, we're all on the same team. Yes, we're going to make money, but we're going to help you make a lot more money. Like, the money that we help make somebody on a hard money deal is usually a hundred times what we make yeah. on our fee. Like, if we make five grand, Usually somebody's going to stand to make a hundred to five hundred thousand dollars, you know, and people forget that again, like that value of, hey, we're helping you bridge that gap to get to the next level. And they yeah. truly forget. They think we're just fucking them for a five thousand dollar fee or a two thousand dollar fee. And it's like, dude, without us, you, you're losing everything. You know, it's uh, again, we're, we're in the marketplace now where you talk to a, buy, a borrower and they have tons of lenders calling them. Right. So it's more like, oh, just give me like the best rate. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and I actually yeah. don't think it's the right attitude, especially in this market. I agree. You know, maybe three years ago you could right. ride the wave, but right. you know times are changing now, and I think it's important even for the borrower to like invest in the relationship with your lender sure. on both the you know the hard money bridge side as well as on the conventional side. Sure. John and myself, we have one bank that we've been using personally now for probably about ten years, right. and we have a very good relationship with them, and and it's full disclosure with yep. everything, yep. you know, and and I know I can speak freely to them and vice versa, and yep. that's why we have such a good relationship. So when we go to them. Uh, for money for like a project or construction money, sure. you know, there's a level of trust and we're extremely confident we're going to get the money. It's funny. And, you bring uh, it, I think that's kind of like Bumble or Tinder or Hinge, right? Yeah. In like the real estate lending world right now where it's like, oh, hot girl. Yeah, yeah that hot like, girl got 7,400 likes today. Like yeah. let it pick one of seven, you know, 140. Whereas on the lending side, it's like, oh, well, these are all the hard money lenders that are we, soliciting. We, we just refinanced the construction <laughs> project. And, you know, we get you know, they, after the closing, they wire the money into our account. And uh, we get a call like three days later from like our, our, our main uh, point of contact there. And they said, like, hey, listen, and there is an error on the, uh, the refinance proceeds. And we gave you an extra X amount of dollars, which was like a legit yeah. you know, portion of money. Sure. You know, they said, you know, we have like two options because like you're above the loan to value yeah thresholds yep. that we did and we understand it's our error yep. so it's either a you know we can just put it on like one of your other properties that we have a sure. you know have a mortgage you on that the debt. yeah reallocate the debt or you can like cut us a check back yep. so you know we're, we're again a great relationship with them so we're busting the guy's balls or so you know normally the bank calls us to give us money not you know take us you know take money sure. back from us yeah but those things happen yeah, and it happens and you know what we said we were like listen we unfortunately at the time we didn't need the money so we just yep. we literally said just to, you know wire the money back out of our accounts and like take it and you know like adjust it but again, it's the relationship. Sure. You know, they weren't scared that sure. you know we were going to be like, oh, right. like the money's and gone. And, and, and listen, we're not trying to like scumbag. Right. It's, it's the so relationship ruin that, that matters. Why ruin it? They I had a deal for one of my best clients. He's one of my best friends to this day, Tony Flores. I hope you're watching. If you're not, then I'll send you this clip because I'm shouting you out. But this guy, I tell you, like I met him in 2010. We did a deal. I think the first deal that I actually helped him do was like 2013. You know, I helped him buy two family in the Bronx. And then he came back. I did all his refinances. He already was established before I met him, but I helped him out. And in time when no one was really lending, hooked him up. He wanted to do a fix and flip. He didn't have all the capital for it. You know, he bought a property, hard money, had violations on it. Two family in Morris Park, stole it for like 190 or 200. Wow. Yeah. He put up like 50,000. We gave him the money, like interest only, you know, typical great deal. But yeah, this is a 2014 to 15. So no one was really doing this at the time. You know what I mean? Like it was all private capital. You know, he want the house is probably worth 600 plus thousand now. So, you know, he made great money. He sends me everybody. Great guy. One of the best guys I know. So now it's time for him to move out of the Bronx and move up state with his family. We did a refinance cash out from that property where he put $200,000 tax-free from his investment property with a tenant still paying off the mortgages into his new house. But when he did his refinance, my friend, who's one of my best attorneys, she's been on this podcast. I'm not going to tell who she is, but if you listen to this podcast, you'll know. She made a mistake, an honest mistake where she forgot to give him $18,000, whatever it was. Like whatever it was, the wire said one ten, and it was ninety two, and she actually gave him more money, I think. And long story short, when we went to go f- to do the purchase, it was like, dude, you're 18000 short. He said, what do you mean? Like, I gave that. I gave that. But she made a mistake 
all we had to do was make a call up. She's like, oh, yeah, I had the money in my escrow account. And then we, like, balanced the A to Z. Uh-huh. Now, she didn't have pride. She didn't say, she's like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking sorry. I'm like, yeah, listen, I've been doing business with you for four years. You yes, know, like, you're not, you're not a piece of shit. You're not stealing my client's money. Hey, Tony, by the way, Tony, I hope you don't mind me telling the story, is, look, we're all on the same team. And he trusts me 100%. So he would never come back and say, you fucked me or had this happen. Why would you refer me to her? Like, we're all on the same team, you know? And I think having that relationship with him since 2010 and her since 2014, like, got us over a hurdle where any other person would have filed a complaint with the banking department, the CFPB, you know, went after her bar license. And, and like you said, the, team, like, the, the team is so important. Yeah, you know, like all crazy, these people man. have been doing it for years. They yeah. have their team. They're using, for Correct. the most part, the same one or two attorneys, Correct. the same architect, contractor. So that Correct. way, listen, everyone's going to have a situation where somebody fucks Correct. something up. Where it's not like, ah, oh, what the hell did you do? And you're moving on to the next really You work it out because you know you have an invested interest. You sure. have other stuff going on. And listen, shit happens. And listen, I'm going to make a mistake sometimes. Right. You're going to catch it, vice sure. versa, or this. And you know, I think that's why it's I've literally to have had clients fun. sitting at, like on deals I've advised on, right? Not on the residential mortgage side, on other deals where they're like, fuck, Jeff, I'm $1,500 short. I get paid tomorrow. I'll Venmo them $1,500. Be like, all right, give it to me. Like, Tomorrow, you know yeah. what I mean, but like that's the value of a relationship. Yeah, you have a very good relationship with a lot of your borrowers, you know. I mean, they're is, all. I mean, yeah. all, but that's the other thing. Like zero of my clients have been leads. When I say leads, like, I never bought a lead. You know, like it was from ground and pound, and it was from personal referrals. Right now, don't get me wrong. I've also lost a lot of money being that nice guy. But the universe works in funny ways, right? So it's kind of like risk reward at this point like i'm not gonna go just give somebody fifty thousand dollars blind anymore based on our relationship i've learned (laughs) multiple times on that but like again like dude look if you text me fuck my i'm in (laughs) i'm in canada my card got declined can you venmo me two thousand yeah dude i know you i trust you here's two thousand you know what i mean and i think again the value of that is invaluable 100 percent. you know i have so many people i can go to and be like man here's a situation or hey i have this client you want to help them out you want to do this deal and they're like yeah because i trust you or I trust the situation, you know, I think just being so transparent and having that go-to network is what gets people through the hard times, through the tough times, and really, you know, do things outside the box other people can't do. So how do you think, I mean, listen, the market's changing. Everybody I talk to who's flipping properties from, you know, the investor that's doing one to three properties sure. a year to some of these, like, really well-oiled machines yep. that are doing, you know, or that we're doing 30, 40, 50, 60 a year, even mm-hmm. more. You know, everyone is saying that the amount of deals is down tremendously. Sure. You know, I'm finding that the people that are doing one, two, three deals a year, for the most part, are finding it hard to do really any right now. And the people that are like doing 30, 40, 50, these are people that everybody yep. knows if a deal comes on, you send it to that person. Yeah. And they're even having a difficult time and they have like a gigantic network. Mm-hmm. Where do you think like the investors should be focusing on both like the one to four family side as well as the, you know, the bigger commercial side? I'm going to reverse answer that. Mm-hmm. So the problem is these want to be hard money lenders, which aren't hard money lenders. They're fix and flip lenders. And there's a big difference between hard money and fix and flip financing, right? You could use hard money for fix and flips, but a fix and flip lender is not a hard money lender. Let's just be very clear on that. And what do you mean by that? that? Fix and flip lender says, I have these boxes that I have to check off with credit score requirements, equity requirements, that I have to meet these parameters, like getting a residential mortgage and then selling the loan off, right? Like I have to answer it to Big Brother. A hard money lender from old school is guys with extreme wealth or guys that raise private capital together and they look to return 10, 12, 14% on their money. It's all private money. They're not borrowing money gotcha, gotcha. to lend money, right? So there's a big clusterfuck right now of what people think hard money lenders are. Where I'm like, that's not hard money. Like hard money is not at 8%. It's been, it's been very institutionalized. Very institutionalized yeah. because the big banks were missing out on those spreads and those margins. So they figured out a way to get in that game, mm-hmm. which lowered margins, but those were mostly on bigger ticket items. Like you're not getting a 7% rate hard money on a $100,000 deal. You might get it on a $3 million deal or a $15 million deal because of leverage and everything else, but there's no way you're doing that. So that's number one. Number two, these jerk-offs are hiring young jerk-offs for below minimum wage to go out there, tell everyone they're hard money lenders, fix and flip lenders. They probably live on their mother's couch. Their mother probably still wipes their own ass and they're still probably sucking the nipple before bed at night telling people, I'm a fix and flip lender. I'm a hard money lender. I'm like, you're not. You're not. So what you're doing is you're giving inaccurate information. You're giving false hope and expectation. So by the time somebody comes to me, I have to spend more time unwinding the lies that you've told them to give them the reality, right? So they're fucking up the market and they're jamming up the market. Now, the 
other thing is everyone's a wholesaler these days. Everyone you're jo- saying on the brokerage side, on the on the broker side, and on the I don't know, like um, unemployed line side. Like everyone's running around trying to find properties, right? So what they're doing is they're going and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna get this property for two hundred thousand dollars. I have no money. I don't want to fix and flip it. I don't qualify. I have to." Tie this property up, and then I'm gonna try and flip the contract for two thirty, two forty, two fifty. But they can't find somebody to flip it for that number. So now you have a property sitting there. They're getting sellers are getting pissed off, and then the deal gets log jammed. So there's a big like kink in the train. Like you have the caboose, and then you have the front, and in the middle is where all the shit gets stuck. So people need to put money to work. They're sitting on so much capital. I had people literally doing fix and flips just to pay their crew. So one just downturn, busy so they they're fucked. Yeah. The other thing that I see people making mistakes on is, hey, this is a beautiful one-story house. It's a ranch. If we add a level, we're going to make another $100,000. I'm like, it's going to take you an additional 12 to 18 months, okay? You already have $800,000 borrowed to do everything. So you're not only carrying that on that money. Like, you might finish and the first the, the level. The risk-reward is like, okay, so there, like, yeah. All right, so now it's going to cost you 84000 in carrying costs to make another 100000 extra 16000 Like, sell it as is, you well, know? That's just like saying even developers on the bigger scale, just because your architect says that you can max out this lot. It's not this. doesn't mean that you should do it and get the biggest community right. facility. Right. So you know, there pe- may not be a demand for it, and it may not make sense. It's absolutely In insane. terms of, like, the cost of construction and going up an extra couple of stories. And these are experienced people making this mistake and i feel like they're doing it either out of fear they're doing it out of greed they're doing it out of desperation a lot of the guys doing it are also real estate brokers so like they don't care they're still making the real estate commission i'm like yeah but look again risk reward it's not there where i see the opportunity is again building the platform to have access to all the products right so like if fix and flip slows down you have the commercial financing if those two things fall down right now you still have the hard money financing you know, you have to have yeah. those ultimate financing options. We spoke about this options. where, you know, like the platform that we're trying yeah. to collaborate on here is where you have your in-house bridge fund Correct. for the hard money lending side. And then once you're stabilized, we already have all your information. Take your loan out. We know the deal and then we can help go out there and bring it to different conventional sure. banks or, or agency lenders yep. to refinance our debt. And when we're approaching that lender and saying, listen, not only are we coming out here trying to arrange the financing, but we also have the the note on the property. You know, like we fully know what's going on. We obviously believed in the deal, otherwise yep. we wouldn't have given the money. Yep. And uh, and it's worked out very well. And from a client perspective, the they investor, love it. they love it because they're like, you already have all my shit. You already know the deal. I already trust you because you came through to this. Yep. If you're helping me on the on the refinance, like if if you know your loan expires in you know whatever December thirty first or something like that, and we're into January for the refinance, you know you're not like in default or something like that. Sure. There's no like issues in terms of oh like an extension fee or nothing like that. And uh, we've had a lot of success with it. And I and I think that's like the model that we want to continue to go with. And listen, right now our conversation probably a week two weeks ago was. You know, are we going to be the first choice of lenders for a lot of people right Probably now? Not. Probably not. You Probably know, not. but we're fine to be the right. second or the third right. right now. We know that's going to change. There's going to be a shakeup in the industry, and Completely. and we're going to listen. Just stay focused, stay on our path. You know, I'm not looking to go now from lending. And you talked to me in six months, and now I'm trying to sell. Right. Uh, you know, yeah, or like printer printer supplies right. or something. You know, door, right. door. Yeah, we're going to be here long term. Yeah, we're, we're here we long term. Track records. We've been doing it for the past 15, 20 years. Right. You know, uh, and we're here to stay. And I think yeah. that's. I think where the opportunity in deals are. Personally, you know, for people that are out there listening, I think picking up stalled projects, stalled development sites, and also estate sales. I think the estate sale market is so underserviced. And if you have an attorney or a bankruptcy attorney or somebody, like usually they get activity on estates, right? When someone dies, like you usually call your attorney first. Hey, what do I do? Or like mm-hmm. you're a financial advisor, right? You can go in the paper, look at obituaries, and then like cross-reference if they own the property. I think yeah, there's even services out there that we just pay completely. your monthly fee of whatever and it gives right. you the names and the numbers. estate sales. And those are the ideal properties for fix and flips because usually if someone unfortunately dies, their home is probably stuck in the 80s or 90s. It yeah. needs a lot of TLC. And because it's an estate, usually the family is whacking the money up anyway between two, three, four siblings or heirs, right? So the difference between them selling it for 250 or 300 at the end of the day, you know, they really don't care. They're still getting their money, which is found money. And, and a again, lot of times they want a, sh- a sure thing and a quick correct. thing. They, they want an all cash money, deal. Yeah. They know the house looks like pink and blue from like the 1980s sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. And I think the more people that target estate sales, the better off they'll be, obviously, if you have you know patience because these things take time to go through probate and all the other crap. And the other opportunity I see is on defaulted reverse mortgages. No one's talking about defaulted reverse mortgages at all. And I think the banks and you know FHA, because FHA backs reverse mortgages, if you didn't know that, the government does. 
and they have this rule where like if they foreclose on you or you know you die you know you have like 30 days to transfer the property into someone else's name your heir's name or the estate and uh if they foreclose at let's say 600,000 they legally can't sell the property for less than 600,000 so these properties are literally just sitting there with a default the note at $600,000. Now they might only be worth 500,000 because their guidelines are so stupid whoever wrote these rules is a complete moron. They're just sitting on these properties, right? So maybe going in negotiating with these servicing companies, hey look, we'll take the property at 600,000 zero interest. Like, all right, we'll take the deal, but you're going to deed it over to us and then we'll pay you back, you know, 600,000 over 30 years at 1% or 0%. Mm-hmm. And I could take the fact nobody's doing that, you know. And that stems from my bankruptcy attorney that I know very well. Oh, she's also a real estate attorney. She's like, look, I have so many you know, defaulted reverse mortgages now that people haven't even paid their taxes on in three, four years. Now they're being foreclosed on, but the house isn't even worth close to what you know the amount that they owe the bank is. Yeah, that face value amount. And look, it's sad because, and this is why I say like the market might be safe, but the individuals, the consumers aren't, right? The older people aren't. People who go through divorces, breakups, you know, lose their spouse, whatever it is, like, you know, cost of living so high. They're falling hard times. Yeah, and like that's always going to happen. Humans are always going to make errors. And humans, you know, with the click of a button, now you could order everything from your phone. And, you know, usually it goes through whether you have the money in the bank account or not. So I think people need to really take on like a financial responsibility. And if you don't, like, don't wait till it's too late. Like, don't wait until, you know, the marshal puts like, you know, time to get out on your home. Talk to people, get advice, and see what your options are from somebody who's been around the block. Don't just like Google like home relief and talk to uh, Joe Smith from uh, you know Newark, New Jersey, who's running a shop out of his car. You know what I mean? To like give yeah. you advice on how to try and steal your property from you. One of the worst things on, uh, and this is from like the borrower standpoint. It can even be from the lender standpoint. Like if you're having an issue. Don't go radio silent. Communicate. Oh man, you got to communicate, and that's you know again, that's what everything in life. You know, if you're the borrower and things are you're having issues yep. and you're not communicating with your lender, yep. your lender is going to get to a point where they get really pissed yeah, off. Enough's enough. You know, and they're like, they don't even want to deal with you anymore. Sure. Waste their time with it, and then that's when you go to legal, and it's like just deal with the attorney, and yep. then then you're on like a downward spiral. Yep. So yep. listen, everyone falls on issues. Just be upfront about it. You know, completely. If you have an issue as in a borrower and you run into a jam, I can't just like then come to your house and take the keys right away. Right, like, there's still right, a process, right, right. you know? Sure. So just be upfront say, listen, here's the situation. I got a little jammed up. I right. need like a month Can or you two help for me this. Because of here's like the whole thing, what's going yep. on? Like, how do we get out of this? Yep. And, and I think that's like the, that's key. And, and again, especially in this market, a lot of new people, they, they just don't get it. You know, they've only seen good times. I don't think they want to yeah. get it. And like with their pride and own insecurities, like they don't want to admit it and get it. Yeah. You know, I could literally sit there and be like, look, if you do this, you'll be okay in three months. And they're like, no, fuck you. I'm going to wait for three months and I'll call you back. I'm like, yeah, I mean, even we have situations late. where you try yeah. to bail people right. out of situation. And they're right. like, no, I, I want this. We're like, no, you don't get it. Right. Like, you're going to have shit. And they don't care. In like six yeah, months or like care. a year. They don't care. So why not just take X amount of money here? You know, you, you can keep, you won't have any blemishes on yep. your track record. Yep. You can show a face and you have a successful project. We'll work with you where you did it sure. great. So you can still build on your career in the future and sure. just like get out of here. So instead of making, this, you make this, but you're going to get out of the deal alive, yeah, you know? Ahead of the game. Yeah, you get out ahead of the game and recover, like, you know, maybe not all your money, but you get a chunk of it, or maybe sure. you just don't make as much, but you still make something. And now, again, also, you live to fight another day. We also spoke about potentially coming in on stalled projects, people that are jammed up, and becoming equity partners with them, taking out their debt and literally taking on the full responsibility and giving them a piece of what they would basically be losing. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about, like, the structure of that and how that would work for somebody, ideally. Yeah. So, you know, again, from being the debt standpoint could be risky and it takes a long time. God forbid, you know, issues arise. But, you know, if people come into a jam and there's a a way for us to step in from like a like a JV equity side, you know, we feel a lot more comfortable and, you know, we can structure a deal with the borrower investor that's at the table where, you know, we're essentially levering off, leveraging off of each other's skill sets and expertise, you know, to finish different projects. So, uh, could be where someone's coming to us right off the bat and they want to do a project and, you know, they just don't feel comfortable with like the monthly expense of carrying like a private note and there's no way to sort of roll in the payments to it because there may be not, might not be enough equity where, you know, we'll come in and, you know, partner on the deal to do the particular project. Maybe we're putting in all of the money or we're putting in a chunk of the money. Sure. They maybe still run the show. Maybe they don't even want to run the show. You know, right. who knows, you know, what it might Each be. Each deal is so unique. Each deal is so unique. You know, or it could be someone that ran into 
you know, like a jam, like, you know, we have someone right now that we're talking to has a retail strip and they have some issues with vacancy and they can't pay the current lender. And, you know, they're already in default and in the process of losing the property. And you know, we're trying to structure a deal. Where we, we know the deal has a lot of equity into it where we can come in and, and this one may even work just on a straight debt play where we can help them stabilize, lease out the project put in like a crew and to sure. actually operate it. Sure. Have it where they can refinance and and put a conventional note on it. And and this one we're evaluating like this particular person may not be able to get conventional financing. Sure. We're like, listen, well we can pay off the lender. We can bring in additional money to finish the renovations, help you stabilize it. And we have the the track records with conventional lenders to get right. you know a mortgage on this place for right. you know your high three percent, you know, four percent sure. interest rate. And you're gonna be in a much better spot. So like at first the person was like, oh well then you know then we're partners and all this. I'm like, you're not making any money. Right, you're you're losing money. You're going to lose right. it anyway. Right, right. And nobody's going to give you a, like a, a legit interest rate. Sure. They're going to be charging you 9, 10, 11, 12%. Yep. Yep. So like you're still going to make more money. And like at least you know everything is running smoothly. Sure. Again, I think that's where like we have the advantage to do it, especially in our backyard and like the boroughs, Westchester County, yep. to really step in and act as a partner in the deal. Yeah, I think it's um, important to say is like one of my specialties that I know I've done multiple times is I've taken people on the commercial side out of foreclosure, jacked up credit, out of foreclosure with hard money, in two, three months once everything's stabilized and everything looks good on paper and I properly show them how to like, you know, set up their profit and loss and you know yeah. cash flow analysis right like yeah. the right way yeah of course like where like aunt betty isn't getting like you know the monthly rental income <laughs> and aunt betty like doesn't really exist you know yeah. aunt betty llc and we structure on paper it's important that you know commercial banks will lend on that as long as the cash flow analysis is there now granted you're signing everything over right and they're doing like you know they're they're intercepting the rents but like they'll lend on it if it makes sense so even if you do fall behind or even if you do have you know vacancies or blemishes like there are banks out there that aren't at 12 to 16 percent that will take on your debt as long as it's structured properly and even for people that are losing a property there's not much equity there yeah. could also be a play where that lender you know there's no incentive for them to go through the whole process of foreclosing right. because there's no no equity there's no equity right. in it so you know that person probably wants to get out of the deal sure Okay, and and there may be a situation where we can come in and listen. We know what that lender is going through, and work out a deal with them where they're happy to get out of it. Maybe they even want to stay in the deal, sure. you know, for for whatever reason may be for that particular project where we can do like a JV with them and yeah. or convert the debt to the equity. I don't know. There's so many scenarios. Yeah, best best advice is just reach out. And yeah, just exactly, you. just reach out. Every every like you said before. I mean, every single deal is very different. You know, and there's nuances with all of them, and you know, both the real estate side and then also sure. on the borrower side. And it's also super important to understand that it's Matt's and his group's own capital, so we don't have to go to a third party. We can go to a third party if we need to or want to or feel maybe like this asset isn't in our wheelhouse of lending, but we have guys that will come in based on our discretion. So, you know, as we close up the show, we usually leave everyone with one thing to deposit to their memory bank. So based on all the years of experience, all the business ventures you've done, what you currently do, wife, kids, everything else, what's one thing you want to leave the listeners with that, you know, they could implement immediately into their daily life that will get them on a better path or scale their path that they're currently on? Uh, great question. Great question. Uh, don't play chin quarter game. Yeah, don't play the chin quarter <laughs> game or keep your mouth closed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I like yeah, that. Keep your keep, mouth closed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah I, I, on the keep your mouth closed, you know, they, you know, I was once told you have two ears and one mouth, you know, it's because people want you to, you know, you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. So, you know, I think that's, you know, everyone knows everything now. You know, no one wants to hear anything. You know, I know more than you know, you yep. know more than I know. And everyone's just like, it's a big clusterfuck. Yep. So, you know, I think just listen and learn and be open-minded. Listen, I don't know anything far from and I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly screwing shit up yep. and then trying to figure yep. out why did I just screw this up? How do I correct <laughs> yep. it? You know, because it's expensive to learn Personally, by I'm screwing it up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, listen twice as much as you talk and just knowing that you don't know. Yep. You know, so yeah, admit it. Yeah. So you can get the right advice. And get the right advice because it's a much smoother road and a more successful road long term. So everybody go follow Matt at at your hard dot com. I'm yep. sorry, it's just at your hard money guy <laughs> on Instagram. You know, coming soon, Bricks Advisory, and we look forward to putting a lot of money out in the market this year. Yeah, thank you everyone for that's listening. Yeah, I appreciate, appreciate it. Coming you having on me show. on here. Yeah, great I'm, time. I'm glad we got to sit at nine AM. Yeah, exactly. Like get it nice and early. <laughs>